You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. pictures to all of you listening from around the world this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal and then notably absent brandon gory because he has absolutely no idea that i'm doing today's pod i didn't even know that i was going to do today's pod Uh, I just did something today and happens to be in the area and decided I wanted to record a pod. And we'll get right into it here in just a moment. Uh, It is the fall here in Texas. And as I have stated in previous episodes, I did not watch a single Texas Rangers game this entire regular season. No, I was a terrible fan. But you know what? Better late than never because... I went ahead and decided I was going to watch them in their playoff run this year, and they are now 5-0. and oh. And everybody uh, in Texas Rangers land was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to face Houston. And I'm like, bring Houston on. Slay the dragon. If you're going to start a dynasty, you might as well slay another dynasty, despite the fact that they are fucking cheaters. Today's sponsor is Luminar Neo. Harness the power of artificial intelligence with Luminar Neo. If you are the type of person who doesn't want to sit there in front of a mouse all day and click, 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 and edit and all that fun stuff, I should say not fun stuff, use artificial intelligence to your advantage. Luminar Neo has some really amazing modules that simplify your editing life. Uh, if you want to... If you want to get rid of power lines, it does that. If you want to just edit out somebody in the background that you don't want in your picture, it does that. It has AI masking so it can determine what is a human, what is a street, what is a train, what is an airplane, what is a sky, what is a building, etc. And then it creates masks where you can you know, turn your levels up or down or whatever, or make something uh, pop more with color. Uh, additionally, they have a really cool module called Relight. What I love about Relight, if you're a natural light photographer, first and foremost, go learn how to use a flash. But if you find yourself in a situation where you don't have a flash, you have a backlit subject. And of course, the sky looks beautiful, but the front part of your setup, your foreground, just doesn't look quite right because it's underexposed. You can go into the Relight module, and there's a really cool balance slider where it'll uh, Turn the exposure up on the front half of your picture, and then, of course, you can take that slider and you can move things closer or further away. And so that's kind of a great thing to use in a pinch if you don't have your flash to fill your subject. Now, obviously, it's limited by the dynamic range of your camera, so if you just see black and you try to fill that shadow and it's not going to look great, but if your couple stops off, it'll do a really great job. It's only limited by your camera. So... Today's episode, I woke up this morning without a plan. I mean, I do have a couple things to do. I'm going to my nephew's birthday party here right after I record this pod. And I do have a shoot with an 
awesome Belarusian model tonight. I'm going to do some street shooting, some street portraits. So I do have plans today, but I didn't have any plans this morning. I wanted to just maybe go for a jog with my dog. Uh, that rhymed. I noticed that. And so I did a mild jog or whatever, and I get home, and my wife is cutting up a Welch's box. Now, I have two kids who eat like fucking locusts, so they uh, eat a lot. And if you have children and you live in the United States and you get to that point where they become teenagers and they devour everything in front of them, you get a Costco membership card. And of course, when you buy stuff at Costco, it's always in bulk. If you have a platoon of Marines that are about to go into battle and you need to put mayonnaise on their hamburgers, you buy a big ass tub of mayonnaise at Costco. That's how it works. And so in our household, we like to have Welch's fruit snacks and you buy them 90 at a time. So I'm seeing my wife cutting up this Welch's box. And I'm like, what are you doing? She says, there's a solar eclipse today. I'm making a pinhole so I can observe the solar eclipse. And I thought to myself, oh yeah, I saw all those advertisements from Kalari and other brands and they just kept bombarding me with buy filters for the upcoming solar eclipse. They've been advertising for the last month, month and a half. And of course, that's my fault because I shop for so much damn gear and that is my reputation on this channel, this pod, is that I buy so much damn gear that the algorithm finds me and it's like, hey, you clearly want to buy this filter. Well, for once, I did not go out and buy the filter. I resisted the temptation because I'm not somebody who goes out chasing solar eclipses. If I did that for a living, not only would I go out and buy that filter, I'd probably buy the more expensive version of that filter for professional solar eclipse photography. But I didn't do that this time around. However, I'm seeing my wife you know, cutting up the box, and now all of a sudden I get FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And now I'm like... Now I do want to do the solar eclipse and capture it on my camera. Well, it's a Saturday and Kalari is in New Jersey. And so I'm in Texas. So there's a 0.0% chance that I'm going to go ahead and obtain one of these filters. So I'm going to have to figure out how to do it with what I've got. So I decided to shoot the solar eclipse today. Coming up, I'm going to tell you how. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right. So I had FOMO, fear of missing out. And it was like 20 minutes before the solar eclipse was going to start. So there was no way I could go out and purchase anything to make this solar eclipse happen inside my camera. So I started thinking about what I had. I was like, okay, I have a, a Fuji X-H2. And I think I'm going to do the Fuji X-H2 to capture the solar eclipse because I have a 67 millimeter filter thread and I could maybe put a filter on it. But I also thought about the fact that, well, my Fuji has a maximum shutter speed of like one one hundred and eighty thousandth of a second, which of course I joked that, oh, you can capture a speeding bullet, but now uh, actually thinking about it, uh, you probably get warping because of uh, electronic shutter, but it does have one one hundred and eighty thousandth of a second. And I was like, oh, I'll go take some pictures with it. Uh, but I'll also see about this filter that I have. So uh, if you listened to the episode where I talked about ultraviolet, I was like, well, I have an ultraviolet filter uh, it's a 67 millimeter. It's meant to be put on a full spectrum camera, which my Fuji X-H2 is not. However, the whole point of the bandpass filter is to filter out 
all light with the exception of ultraviolet light. And so I thought to myself, well, uh, since the sun puts out ultraviolet light, maybe I should just try to put this ultraviolet filter on and see what I get. So that was my plan. I had a 70 to 300 lens. And if you're not familiar with the crop factor, a 300 millimeter lens on a Fuji X-H2 presents as a 450 millimeter uh, focal length if you're coming over from the world of full frame. So I was like, okay, well, I can get pretty close to the sun. I have a filter. Uh, I can also decide to try out uh, my one 180,000th of a second uh, electronic shutter, uh, shutter speed, and see what I get. So I grabbed a lawn chair. I sat down in my lawn. I did not have a tripod, and then I just handheld a shot. I took a shot like once every minute, once every 30 seconds, something like that. And I first started out trying to shoot at one 180,000th of a second at F8 at 300 millimeters. And I saw a halo, um, kind of a very fuzzy, not sharp uh, definition around the sun. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, I'm letting in all this light. Yes, my shutter speed is fast, but I'm letting in a ton of light. Uh, you know, modern lenses are supposed to prevent ultraviolet. And of course, I'm taking a, t a picture of the damn sun. So I was like, okay, well, I didn't get one of those special filters that they were advertising leading up to this. And, and so just no filter at all on my 70-300. It did okay. I can see the shadow. It looks okay. But I quickly abandoned that because I just didn't like the look of it. And as I look at my my, my friends' uh, pictures right now, they all have that beautiful orange glow on theirs. I'm sure a lot of them actually went into Photoshop and enhanced it. Uh, I decided to go against the grain mainly because that's all I could do. And I decided to try out my 67 millimeter ultraviolet bandpass filter. Well, I'm actually super excited with how everything turned out. So, uh, what I what I ended up getting out of that, instead of a fuzzy coma smearing looking uh, result that a lot of my friends got, uh, a lot of people I see on Instagram got, instead I got very well defined edges. So, uh, when you look at the moon, of course, uh, you're sitting out uh, you know, in your backyard at night, and you look at the moon, and you see a crescent. You of course see that crescent is just reflecting sunlight back at us. And then the part of the moon that you don't see obviously is the shadow of the earth reflecting or casting, I should say on the moon itself, which is, you know, 200,000 miles away. Um, what's cool about a solar eclipse is it's the opposite of that. So you're getting a crescent, but rather than seeing sunlight being reflected back on the sun, you're actually seeing the sun. And of course, the moon is blocking the sun from reaching you. And there's some really beautiful things that I noticed. Now, obviously, if you listen to this pod, you know that I am, I, I shoot models, uh, I shoot portraits, that's what I do. So when I do stuff like this, uh, I obviously, uh, I just do it for fun. I do it every now and then, but I don't do it for a living and I don't take it super seriously. But, and, and if you're listening to some of the stuff that I'm about to talk about that I discovered, you're going to, you're going to be, you probably, if you shoot solar eclipses all the time, you're like, yeah, I see that all the time. But for those of you who are listening, who don't shoot solar eclipses, uh, I'm going to tell you about some really cool things that I learned during this experience coming up next. 
This is Jason Berkman, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, so I am uh, I'm back, and I want to talk to you about uh, the process of shooting the solar eclipse and things that I found to be interesting. So, you know, we are uh, 200,000 miles away from the moon, and we are 92.7 million miles away from the sun. So the first thing that I didn't do right, but maybe I did do right, is I didn't use a tripod. And obviously, if you don't use a tripod, it makes post-production a little bit more of a pain in the ass. But uh, I didn't want to just sit my camera on a tripod and point it at the sun because even though I had that UV bandpass filter on it, I just don't want to leave my uh, my sensor pointing at the sun for like an hour as it burns into my sensor. I figure, hey, uh, I can just pick up my camera, point it at the sun, take a picture, and then align everything up in post-production. And that's exactly what I did. So my settings, I shot at my base ISO on my X-H2, which was ISO 125. Uh, I shot at a shutter speed of 1 400th of a second. And then I also shot a F8, which is the sharpest part of the 70 to 300, the sharpest aperture that you can shoot at. On there, at 300 millimeters, as I've already said, was about 450 if you come over from the full-frame world. That's that's the uh, view that you're getting out of it, the, the uh, perspective. And so I did that. Uh, I would alternate between that, and then I would take the filter off. And then I would go up to one one hundred and eighty thousandth of a second in electronic shutter, uh, and as I as I mentioned, it was kind of fuzzy, and so I went back and forth, and then I finally decided that I was going to stick with uh, going uh, with the the filter, uh, and it made I, I think I think it ended up being a, a, the right choice. Uh, not only did it give me something unique, but it gave me something usable uh, because I didn't have the specialized filter that everyone else had, but I did have a filter that kind of was uh, uh, very uh, slow. And so uh, if you heard my episode about uh, infrared and ultraviolet, when I go handhold shots of people with the ultraviolet filter and it's like 2 p.m. and I'm shooting at like F1.4, I still have to be at like ISO 800 and, uh, you know, 130th or 115th of a second. That is extremely slow. And therefore, that, that filter is blocking out a shit ton of light. And so I wasn't concerned about... Uh, for very small periods of time, pointing my camera at the sun and then taking a picture uh, with that filter on because, uh, I mean, I, I, I go shoot backlit models all the time where the sun is over their shoulder and it's pointing directly at my sensor and it doesn't destroy my sensor. I really do think that if you're just pointing your sensor at the sun for a really long period of time, that's bad. Uh, I will say though, I will, I will say there's a, a, a preface here is that, uh, you know, you do shoot at the sun at your own risk. Just like if you go shoot, uh, nightclub photography and there's lasers, the quickest way to fuck your camera up and basically turn it into a brick, unless you just want to Photoshop every single shot you ever take is shooting lasers, uh, shooting very high concentrated light directly at your sensor is really bad for your sensor. So, so don't. Don't do that unless you know what you're doing or you are uh, going to go ahead and roll the dice and, and accept the risks, which is what I did here. I felt it was low risk with the filter, and I also felt it was low risk uh, you know, with a 180,000 shutter speed because everything was super fast. But a really cool phenomenon that I saw uh, while I was shooting the sun 
in the solar eclipse was I saw space debris. I, I, I saw reflectivity. And, and at first I thought it was just like uh, static in my electronic viewfinder, but it was moving all in the same direction at the same speed. And that's because the earth is spinning. Flat earthers, checkmate. But yeah, the, the earth is moving. And what was happening is I was actually seeing debris. I don't know if the debris was in the atmosphere, if it was in outer space. I don't know where it was. It was somewhere between my eyes, the moon, and the sun. That's all I can tell you. I don't know how far away it was. But what was amazing about it is I could actually see it moving in a direction. You know, I'm assuming it was going about 15,000 miles an hour or whatever. I don't know how fast it was going. But every time debris moved in front of the moon uh, and it was still within reach of the sun, the, the rays of the sun, you would actually see it moving uh, across the, you know, just right in front of the shot. I mean, basically, you would just see black because, as I said, I was shooting uh, with an ultraviolet band pass filter, which means that it, it did not let in any light at all with the exception of ultraviolet light. So there, there was no red or orange like you're going to be seeing on Instagram and Facebook, uh, people posting their shots of the solar eclipse. My shots aren't going to look anything like that. In fact, my shots just had a tinge of violets on them. I actually threw them into monochrome for the final versions of them because I just thought the white on black looked super uh, classy. And that's just I thought that it would be kind of weird to explain to people why the outer rims of the the sun were purple, violet, because they'd be like, oh, you shot that. I don't understand why yours are violet and everyone else's are orange. So to just eliminate that confusion, I just went in on monochrome. Uh, but because uh, it wasn't letting in any other light, I could just see those specks of, of space debris moving in front of the eclipse as it was happening. It was just beautiful. I, I almost felt like I was in like, a, a, you know, for a second there, I felt like I was maybe in like a capsule or something in outer space, seeing this debris moving by. It was really cool. It was, it was surreal to be honest. I've never seen that before. I never experienced that before. And uh, it does make you, uh, you know, kind of think about the earth differently but man, there's stuff up there and it's in between me and I'm, I'm seeing it with this camera and I'm down here. Now, uh, one mistake, I guess I might've made, not really. I, I kind of, I kind of made a, an executive decision. There was, I didn't put my camera on a tripod, but you know, with the moon 200,000 miles away and the sun, uh, you know, 20, whatever it was, or was it 92? I, I, I forgot. Oh, 92. Yeah. 92.7 million miles away. I don't think that if I, I move my, my 300 millimeter lens six inches closer to the sun on one shot or six inches further back on a shot that it's going to look any different at the end of the day, it's kind of far. Uh, and then as I took my shots into capture one, that certainly was the case. The sun was the same size in every single shot. I just had to align it. Um, but what a beautiful experience that was, uh, shooting that. And I'm going to leave links in the description of this pod, not only to our sponsor, Luminar Neo, but uh, I'm also going to leave links to my shot on Instagram. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought it was a really pleasant experience. Uh, looking back, I, I kind of think that maybe I made a little bit of a mistake. Uh, I think maybe I could have used a step down ring with that ultraviolet and put it on my Canon R7 instead. Because the R7 has a 1.6 crop versus a 1.5 crop, which is what the um, which is what the Fuji has, 
And as soon as I determined that, oh, I, I'm going to abandon this one over 180,000th of a second electronic shutter thing, and I'm just going to go in on one four hundredth with the bandpass filter, what I probably could have gotten, uh, well, I know I could have gotten, was I have a really cool lens, a 600 millimeter lens, which of course presents as a 900 millimeter lens uh, on Canon. And uh, actually, hold on, I'll do the math right now. So if I take uh, 600 millimeters, 600 times 1.6, yeah, 960. So instead of getting a perspective of 450 millimeters, I could have gotten 960 millimeters on my Canon. I could have put that UV filter on my Canon R7 and I would have gotten much closer shots. Uh, hindsight's always 2020, but I'm recording this pod now, uh, because I, I, I'm, you know, debriefing myself and, and, you know, thinking about how I could get better. And that Canon, uh, that RF 600 millimeter shoots at F11. So it's already super dark. I could have shot, you know, uh, six, I, I actually think though, that the front filter is 77 millimeters. So yeah, I would have had to have used a step down ring. Maybe it's 67 millimeters. Well, now I want to know, I'm going to look it up right now. So Canon, RF 600 millimeter front filter size. Of course, I, I uh, let's see. It is, I think it's 700. About to find out. But uh, either way, you know, hindsight's always 2020. I think I probably should have used the Canon in this situation, uh, especially since I'm converting it to black and white. There's really no advantage of using Fuji and using those. Uh, those the Fuji colors because I, I took all the color out. I, I shot it in uh, I shot it in ultraviolet and monochrome. So uh, we'll have to, you know, it, it, it's it's something it's something you gotta learn from. Uh, but I, I just thought that as I was driving, uh, that this would make sense to pull over and record a pod. And oh, I'm I'm seeing right now, 82 millimeters is the front filter size. So I actually could not have achieved today's shoot with my RF 600 millimeter because I have a 67 millimeter filter thread. Uh, so I even I don't even think Kalari makes that filter in 82 millimeters. But I need to see about maybe getting a rear drop-in filter. Maybe Kalari will start making rear drop-in filters. That would have been cool to have done. A, a 600 millimeter, of course, that translates to 960 millimeter f11. Uh, but next time there's a solar eclipse, maybe I will prepare better and uh, hopefully uh, I'll get better results. But I'm super proud of the results that I got. I really do encourage you to go check out uh, the link to my Instagram post in the description of this pod uh, because I do feel like I ended up getting something much different than everybody else because everybody else went one way and I went the other way. Uh, but it does look really crisp, uh, less of a halo. And uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, I hope this was helpful for some of you who uh, might be interested in, you know, shooting a, a solar eclipse. Uh, and then maybe, uh, maybe uh, next time we have a lunar eclipse, uh, I'll, I'll shoot that as well. That does it for today's episode, a very short episode. I just happened to be driving by the podcast studio and thought, man, I just uh, recorded a solar eclipse on my camera, and some of you out there may be interested in knowing how to do it in your setup, uh, and so maybe some of the pointers that I gave you will work. Uh, basically, prepare better than I did, but in a pinch, you might be able to make it work. I could have made it work with the 180th of a second, uh, 
you know, fast uh, electronic shutters. So if, you know, next time one comes up and you don't have a filter, maybe give that a try. But until next time, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.